Welcome into another episode of Can You Dig It, a podcast by the Silver Skin and Roll Network. I'm one of your hosts, Jacob, and he is done gallivanting across the world. Hani has rejoined me. Uh, I don't know if you brought the bad luck now. I'm going to pin this one on you. Uh, but how was uh, the travels across Europe, bud? Okay, first of all, the Lakers had not won a game before I came back to the United States. Let's get that clear. Okay, uh, let me rephrase that. Go back to Europe, bud. <laughs> Gladly. Uh, no, it was, a, it was a great time. Uh, I and the former co-host of the show hanging out in Spain together. Um, so that's a that's a good sign. If I ever leave and a person follows me, that they'll they'll travel with us. It's just going to be tradition now. That's that's great for me as I'm stuck here not <laughs> traveling Europe. The uh the Lakers are in it's been a weird week for the Lakers. Uh Sabrina joined me last week. It was a high. They had won their first game. It was fun. They followed that up with Matt Ryan's heroics. And then this weekend happened. Uh I mean, I guess technically two games have happened since uh anybody on the network kind of last talked. We're not going to talk much about Friday's game because we had a game on Sunday that was a whirlwind in and of itself. Uh, first half looked like it was going to be a really fun game. The first quarter was as much fun as I've had watching the Lakers this season and in much of the last two years. Uh, first half looked like it was going to be a, a fun game. And then, honey, what happened in the second half? That is a very good question. Uh, it's, I guess, been a, a trend for the Lakers this season, um, certainly in, in the last couple uh, games where in the third quarter they just completely lose whatever momentum that they had in the first half. Um, I'm not sure that there's much of an explanation for it. I think they their, their shooting definitely dropped off a little bit in the, in the second half, and they had a much harder time scoring at the rim with with Jared Allen and, and Evan Mobley back on the court after dealing with foul trouble in the first half. Um, but other than that, it just felt like a lot of repeated um, mistakes that they could have avoided. There was a lot of turnovers that just didn't make sense. Sloppy passes, uh, the defense not, not working as well as it should. Um, the main thing, I think, is that they let the Cavs kind of stick around it uh, throughout the first half when they were shooting poorly. Um, they let Mitchell and Garland just continuously get to the line and keep it close. And at that point, it just felt like it was not at all a safe lead for the Lakers. And ultimately, it obviously did not end up being one. Garland and, and Donovan Mitchell were incredible, uh, especially in that first half, as you said. Uh, they had almost everything for the Cavs in that first half. Uh, Cleveland scored 58 points and 42 of them came from those two in the first half, 21 apiece. They were living at the free throw line. They were, the two of them were 15 of 15 at the line. Uh, by the end of the night, the Cavs were 32 of 36 at the line. The Lakers were 12 of 21. Um, we will 
kind of touch on that here in a little bit, but in that third quarter specifically, which is where things felt like they seemed to get away, the Cavs shot 52%, um, three of nine from three. Uh, the Lakers, though, shot eight of 21. And um, as you mentioned, a couple turnovers, six of them. And honestly, that eight of 21, LeBron was five of eight. So the rest of the team was three of 13 outside of him. Third quarters have been a issue for the Lakers. Uh, this does not include tonight. Let me refresh just to make sure it did not update, though I'm pretty sure it did not. Uh, so, yeah, it does not include tonight. But coming into this game, the Lakers had a net rating of minus 10.5 in third quarters this season, an offensive rating of 102.4, uh, which is the second worst uh, in third quarters, and a defensive rating of 112.9, which – is a, a respectable kind of middle of the road defensive rating, but if you have the worst offense, then um, it really doesn't matter. That's just kind of been the trend for this team all season long at this point uh, is that the defense is good enough, more than good enough. Um, but the, uh, the offense is just miles away. I was trying to pull up the full net ratings so the Lakers' defense has slipped to fifth, but still a top five defense. Uh, they have the second best or second worst offense now. Shout out to the Clippers, uh, but still a, a putrid offense. This is a very broad question that you can take in any number of ways, uh, but I'm sure you don't have a full answer to it. Be, how do you fix this? How, how do you fix these third quarter issues? These offensive issues that have plagued the Lakers. Um, I'm not sure because I think from like a process standpoint, it seems like the Lakers aren't necessarily playing as poorly as their record indicates. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've been, uh, a lot more sort of, um, I don't want to say impressed necessarily, but just pleased with how they're playing in a, in a lot of these games until it reaches that point where they get blown out in, in like a five, six, seven minute stretch. Um, you know, I, I think their their play sets have, have been pretty good. Uh, you know, when they actually run sets instead of doing the, the ISO ball thing, that hasn't really worked because LeBron has uh, not been at his top shape so far this year. Um, maybe that's it. Maybe it's uh, being ruling with a little bit more of an iron fist and, and making them run plays instead of uh, kind of freelancing as much as they do. Um, I don't know if that really fixes anything. Ultimately, I think it, it comes down to a roster thing, really. Uh, there's, you know, whatever LeBron can give you, and obviously, again, he has not been at his best, and some of these losses have, in my opinion, been, uh, you know, a large piece of the blame should should fall on him on some of those. Not not tonight's necessarily, but some of the other games. Um, and AD, I think, has been largely really good other than the second halves of these last two games against Utah and Cleveland. And Russell Westbrook, since going to the bench, has been pretty awesome as well. But after that, then, you know, you're you're kind of pretty limited. There's guys that have been performing pretty well in, in Troy Brown. I think he's he's been really good. Uh, Lonnie Walker, for the most part, has been really good. He struggled with some foul trouble today and never really got going. Um, but after that, then it's it's really limited. There's guys that are just not, you know, 
especially offensively, really, really contributing that much. Uh, Austin Reeves is never going to be a guy that's going to score 10 to 15 points a night. You know, uh, Matt Ryan's going to give you a few threes, but that's really all he can do. He's not putting the ball on the floor, getting to the rim. In fact, I would really love for him to never dribble. <laughs> <laughs> Those plays just give me heart attacks. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it, it really comes down to a roster issue of just not having enough good players like the quality of the players that they have isn't bad but it's just the the actual quantity of them of having good rotation nba players is is pretty limited on this team uh granted we haven't seen them with dennis Schroeder. i think he's he's another nba level guy that's going to help quite a bit um and we haven't really seen them with thomas bryant hopefully you know he's somebody that can take some of those center minutes and, and help ad out since damian jones has has not really been able to do that so far um but yeah, I think it really comes down to a roster issue and the way to fix it is probably through a trade. But what trade actually makes sense? What trade really fixes everything enough to be worth giving up assets uh, if it is one or two future first round picks? Um, that's a much tougher question to answer, I think. We touch on a lot of things that we're going to discuss uh, throughout this. Uh, I did want to make note. I have largely been encouraged by this team as well uh it feels like good process it also it's always hard to kind of make note of this without it sounding like an excuse the lakers have not played a team under 500 yet uh they will not tonight monday as you're listening to this their best chance is friday against sacramento who may not be under 500 by the time they play them this has been, as everybody kind of forecasted, a very particularly brutal start to the season. Um, but still, that doesn't change the issues with this roster. <laughs> to the one more point about being encouraged by this team, I feel a lot better about where this team is nine games into the season than uh, last year's team nine games into the season. And I had that thought before I went and looked at what the ninth game of the season was last year. Do you have any guesses? Have you blacked out that entire season as to what the ninth game was last year? Uh, I'm going to guess it's the uh, Austin Reeves game winner game. No, you are uh, off uh, by by some margin on that one. (laughs) That was December 15th. That was the 29th game of the season. That's what I meant. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You oh, recall. you said ninth? Oh, I'm sorry. I, I, I <laughs> yeah. You have really blacked out that season. Uh, <laughs> no, it was the 19-point collapse to the Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, Which with, one? <laughs> yeah, the first of them. Or no, the second of them. God, Jesus <laughs> Christ. I forgot that there were two of them within quick succession. Yeah. Uh, so to give you a sense, I, I do feel better about this team. But yeah, there's a lot of underlying issues. Let's start with one of the the things that have that has not helped matters in the second halves. AD in the last two second halves has four combined points, back to back two point second halves. Um, both of them have followed really strong first halves. He had he finished with 19 points, 12 rebounds, four assists in the game on uh, Sunday, but the first half was 
17 points, eight rebounds, and three assists. So he had two points, four rebounds, and an assist in the second half. How do you go about getting him more involved in the, the, the offense in the second half? How much does getting him involved help their woes in the second halves? Oh, it's huge because I, I think one of the main stories uh, and one of the main reasons for encouragement this season has been how good Anthony Davis has been. Uh, it's just it's felt like he's been back to his 2020 form. Um, but when he has these moments where he kind of just falls out of the game, really. Um, and to be completely honest, it's, it's been sort of a, a hallmark of his <laughs> Lakers career. I think the last couple of years, he's been like that as well uh, since the title year, really. Um, but that is an issue. Uh, and, you know, with the way that LeBron is playing and with sort of the, you know, unreliability of Russell Westbrook, regardless of how good he's playing. Uh, I think AD really, really th- this year, it's more important than ever for him to really take over for this team. Um, and him having these sort of halves where he's only taking a couple of shots is just unacceptable from both him and from the team. Um, you know, whether that's running more plays for him and getting him involved, or I don't know if it's a fatigue thing. I think, I, I wouldn't really buy it against Utah, but maybe against Cleveland having to kind of deal with two seven footers almost by himself. You know, I, I can buy that as as a bit of an excuse. I think he also has the excuse of that fourth foul coming in the third quarter that kind of took him out of his rhythm. It was a very silly foul call that, uh, you know, I, I, I wouldn't blame the entire game on that, obviously, but it's just, uh, it was very stupid. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, maybe getting a, another big in there to help him kind of manage the glass and, and manage against those other bigs is is helpful. Uh, I came into this season kind of expecting the Lakers to play two bigs uh, most of the time, mainly because they don't have enough wing players. And I think LeBron just needed to play small forward to, to help that. But I think it's also crucial just because it'll help AD and keep him a little bit more fresh. Um it looks like his his back is improving. I haven't seen him just hurting over that, but obviously that that can have other effects in in terms of his fatigue and all of that. Um, so having an, an extra body in there would help, but the issue is that Damian Jones has not been good enough, and Thomas Bryant is unhealthy, and you know I guess Wenny and Gabriel could could go in there, but he's also limited in, in a lot of his skills as well. And I, I thought Wenny and actually had a really good game on Sunday as well, but. Um, so, you know, again, it, it comes down to roster issues, but at the end of the day, that's kind of making excuses for AD and for LeBron and Russ in terms of getting him involved. Uh, it really has to be on those star players to take over, and AD has to be, like, at the top of the uh, food chain right now, I think. Uh, Darvin Ham game. We're recording this right after the game, so this quote just came across my timeline. Uh, Darvin Ham said the team has to, quote, slow down, be organized, and get what you want, uh, and that they didn't do that enough in the second half. Um, says the Lakers have plays to feature AD, and AD also has his blessing to call his own number if he's not being involved. This is one of those uh, issues that have crept up throughout AD's tenure in Los Angeles is that he just kind of seems like he gets disinterested and just kind of wanes and falls out of the game and Second half on Friday, one of four uh, shooting, so only took four shots. 
Second half today, one of two. I will note again, um, this flu bug that's been going around. AD also had it on Friday. Um, he told Mike Trudell that he threw up before the game. Patrick Beverly did not play on Sunday. He's not traveling with the team on Monday. Um, that is impacting things. I mean, LeBron talked about it last week. Uh, he looked a lot better on Sunday than he did either of the previous two games. So I'll give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt, AD, but I mean, this isn't anything new necessarily. We've seen him have these spells before, and yeah, he has to be involved. He cannot be. Um, he only took four shots against the Jazz. Less than Troy Brown, less than Lonnie Walker, like that. You cannot have that. On Sunday against the Cavs, he took two shots. Again, less than Troy Brown, less than LeBron, Lonnie Walker, Kendrick Nunn, Russ, and Matt Ryan. Uh, you cannot, that cannot be a thing. Uh, he needs to be up there with the 11 attempts LeBron had. Um, I will also mention that double fouls are pure cowardice. Uh, somebody committed the foul first. Quit being a coward. Or just uh, don't call a foul on either guy. Yeah, I mean, it was a very bizarre call. Um, but yeah, there's never an instance. I won't say never. 99.999% of the time, there somebody fouled someone first. They were not simultaneous fouls. And very silly. <laughs> um just as silly as these bench celebration technicals uh get rid of those like immediately that is dumb anyway uh let's talk briefly about lebron uh before we head into our break like i said it was a it wasn't a good pair of games i don't think against either uh, he wasn't good against the pelicans i don't think he wasn't great against the jazz on friday he looked a lot better on sunday at least in terms of getting to the rim, still a lot of concerns about his jumper. Um, it's weird because I initially wrote down, should we be concerned? He had 27, seven and four on Sunday. That seems to just be how LeBron works. What is, how have you kind of assessed LeBron's last week? Really? How much are you willing to, to write off to him being sick as he clearly was dating back to Sunday night? Um, and how, if at all, are you are you concerned about him? Um, I think it, it's it's kind of the same way that I feel about the Lakers as a whole. In that, it's almost encouraging that a few of these Lakers losses you could have easily chalked up as wins if LeBron was playing at like his normal level. Um, I feel that way about like the Jazz game, I think the first Nuggets game, and maybe the Pelicans game. Uh, oh, the Pelicans game they won, but you know what I mean. Uh, uh so it's it's encouraging that they've been able to to almost stay close in some of these games despite LeBron being as bad as he has been but I also think it is a little concerning that that he has not really played well um he historically especially kind of as he's gotten older hasn't started out seasons in uh you know playing at his highest level at an MVP level uh usually kind of takes a little while to kind of build up to that um, and again, he has the foot injury, uh, affecting him. He's had the illness affecting him. Um, but all of that still, I think 
regardless of kind of those reasonings, uh, it's been a little concerning watching the way that he's played. Like the jump shot's not going in. Obviously, it sucks, and it's uh, I think a much bigger reason for the Lakers being as uh, bad of a three-point shooting team than, than people want to admit. Everybody's like, oh, they didn't surround LeBron with shooters, which true, but also he takes the majority of the three-point shots on this team, and he misses quite a few of them right now. Um, but I'm not too worried about the gym shooting. I think that'll eventually come back to a, a fine average level, just like it's always been. Uh, I think the cause for concern has been really in, in some of these close game situations where Either he has been unable to get to the rim or unwilling to get to the rim. Uh, his finishing at the rim hasn't been great. Uh, it almost looks like he doesn't have like the lift on his legs, but you can kind of see on his jump shots too. He's missed so many of them short rather than than long uh, over the first couple of weeks. Um, so that that part of it is a little bit concerning. I think. You know, I, I'm never going to be the guy that writes off LeBron because, like, every time people do, he just comes back and averages 30, 10, and 10, basically. Uh, so I'm never going to be that person. But anytime you're talking about a dude that's, like, 38 years old or whatever he is um, and in the 20th year of his career, eventually, like, that moment will come where he's just not as good as he used to be. Um Sometimes it, it comes slowly and sometimes it just happens in an instant. And, you know, I hope that that's not the case here. And I don't think that it is because I think we saw against Cleveland that he had a lot of moments where he did get to the rim and he finished through contact and, and he looked a lot more spry than he has, um, which was encouraging. But you just, uh, you know, I don't know. Um, and it is a little concerning because the Lakers really, really rely on LeBron right now based off of the roster that they have. Um, and if he's not, you know, at a high level as like a top five to top 10 player in the league, then they're just not going to be good enough. I was trying to do the quick math and literally as I was doing the math, the uh, NBA site updated. So bear with me for a second. But um, this is a point that I meant to look up beforehand. LeBron is shooting. 13 of 62 from the three-point line this year. It is 21%. Uh, the Lakers as a team are shooting 84 of 296, which is 28.4%. If I did my math right, then the non-LeBron Lakers are shooting 71 of 234, which is 30%, which isn't good, but... <laughs> Uh, shows you how much he is tanking that uh, number a little bit. I just um, can't believe we did live math on a podcast and it wasn't me doing it. That makes me so happy. You're welcome. I'm here to impress. <laughs> uh, I probably did that wrong though. I became a journalist <laughs> because I because and especially because they literally updated it as I'm going back and forth between sections. So there's a chance I did that wrong, but that gives you a sense of how bad LeBron's shooting. Uh, the rest of the team is also still struggling. Uh, do you want to take a guess at who the best Matt Ryan non three point or the not Matt Ryan <laughs> best three point shooter is? I butchered that. Who is the best Matt Ryan on the team? Uh, the best. I almost want to say Westbrook because the last few games he's been hitting him. He's second best, thirty two point four percent. He's eleven of thirty four now. It's incredible. 
Austin uh, Reeves is your best three point shooter nice. at nine of 22. Uh, and then Troy Brown Jr. at 32.1. But you mentioned Russ. Uh, we need to talk about Russ because apparently he's good again uh, and uh, really fun at the very least. So let's talk about uh, Russ coming off the bench and what that means for the Lakers here in just a moment. So the first quarter today um, was as much fun as I had watching Russ in a Lakers jersey. I said that last week, <laughs> the Denver game was as much fun as I had watching Russ in a Lakers jersey. It is remarkable how much I enjoy watching Russ play. Um, now, things went south in the second half, uh, but still, he finished 6 of 13, 19 points, 10 assists, 3 rebounds. He's been remarkable off the bench this year. Um what I'll just start off with just what are your thoughts on him moving to the bench and how this has actually ended up working out miraculously? Yeah, it's really weird because, um, and I haven't looked at these numbers, but just watching the games, it certainly looks like he's still playing quite a few minutes with LeBron, playing quite a few minutes with LeBron and AD. But for whatever reason, just this move to the bench, maybe mentally or, or whatever, has, has really helped him come into his own. Um, who knows how much of it is a flash in the pan sort of thing. It's it's only really been like a week of this. Um, and, and maybe it all comes crashing down again. But at least for this week, he's just been playing so much more direct. He's been getting to the rim, finishing. Um, and more than anything, I think the, the, the really important part of this is just kind of the energy that he's bringing to the team. The energy that he's bringing to the crowd, it's been awesome seeing sort of like the the Staples crowd. Oh, I'm sorry, the Crypto.com Arena crowd uh, uh, kind of cheering on uh, on Russ. It's just like a complete 180 from last year where it seemed he's like they were... He's getting MVP chance. He's getting MVP chance. Uh, they're, they're cheering, uh, chanting, we want Russ. They're cheering when he comes to the score table instead of booing uh, like they were doing at, at a lot of times last season. Um, so I don't know. I think, I think Darvin Ham should get a lot of credit for, uh, not only making the tough decision to bring Russ off the bench, but somehow having, or, um, somehow convincing him to buy into that because, uh, you know, I was talking to somebody about this earlier, Frank Vogel from all accounts had the front office's, uh, sort of blessing to do the same thing but he was the one that opted not to because he was worried that he would sort of lose Russ mentally, that he just would not care about playing hard for the team. And I kind of buy that. I don't know if Russ would have done the same thing if it was Vogel making the decision. That relationship just did not seem like it was built for something like that. But whatever Darvin Ham did to, to kind of build that relationship has worked because Russ, other than the one early uh, sort of press conference quip about him getting hurt because he played off the bench yeah. after that he's really bought into this and he deserves a ton of credit for this too um he's he's been playing awesome he's you know he's i think had probably a little bit more freedom with the ball in his hand rather than just kind of waiting around on on lebron which has helped uh i think you've mentioned uh, a few times that they've been screening for each other a little bit more lebron and russ have that's led to some good moments I think kind of just simplifying the game for Russ and saying, hey, we want you to get to the rim and either finish there or kick out to people, that that is something that Russ is still really, really good at. Um, uh, 
And uh, yeah, I, I mean, again, in the second half, I think he struggled a little bit, uh, especially with some of the turnovers and, and a few sort of like the chaotic stuff that we're used to from Russ. But I think I can live with that a lot more knowing that he's overall sort of playing harder, playing better, playing smarter. Um, I can live with, you know, a quarter of him playing poorly, even if it contributed to a pretty bad loss today. Yeah, I mean, he was a huge reason why they were in the lead in the first quarter. Of course. Um, So, I mean, I didn't think we'd be living by Russ and dying by Russ, but uh, it's been remarkable how good he's been. And, I mean, your point about Darvin Ham getting this out of him, that's what we all kind of rolled our eyes at it this summer when Darvin Ham, every time possible, said, all types of great things about him wanting to get the best out of Russ. He kind of laid the groundwork, the foundation for this relationship through all those quotes. Every time Russ was in the building at press conferences or whatever it was, the message was always the same. Um, And I mean, I don't disagree that I think if Vogel benched him last year, that would have turned even more toxic. Um, the way that they've approached it this year has worked just the raw stats uh, through or in the eight games he's played three of them as a starter, 10.3 points, 28.9% shooting from the field, 8% from the three point line, uh, 6.7 rebounds, 4.3 assists. The five games off the bench he's shooting or he's averaging 18.8 points, 50% from the field, 45% from the three-point line, not remotely sustainable, but I'll enjoy it, Uh, 7.2 assists, 5.8 rebounds. He had a negative plus-minus as a starter. I can get actually the raw numbers here, but uh, he has just been more impactful in general. He was a minus 16 overall in 86 minutes as a starter. In 151 minutes off the bench, he is a plus 13. So, in every way imaginable, he's just been better. Um, now, long term, does this really change anything for the Lakers? And specifically, when it comes to the trade market, does him being a good guy or a good player off the bench, does that really change the calculus of a trade for Russ at this point? Um. I don't necessarily think so. Uh, I think there's two things that you look at. One is, does this make the Lakers more willing to keep him because he's playing well? And then the other part is, does it make teams more likely to want him um, and possibly not have to give up assets to to trade him? Uh, In terms of the Lakers aspect of that, I could see a world in which, you know, they, they live and die with this big three uh, regardless, but I don't think it's necessarily because, um, you know, that they're convinced that Russ off the bench makes them a contender. I think ultimately the issue is that the Lakers, like I said, don't have enough good players and Russ is one of the few because of his contract that you can trade away and get multiple you know, contributors at least back uh, in a trade. Just talking salary for salary, not not even considering what picks you have to trade and all of that. Um, so from that perspective, I think the the best Lakers team imaginable this year still is without Russell Westbrook and not necessarily because of his play, just because 
they need better players. They need good players. And he is really their, their only tangible contract to, to trade away for that. Um, in terms of other teams wanting to get him, uh, I think the issue is this, that uh, this like bench role thing being, being a positive is really important only for sort of like playoff teams. I think that, that would care to have Russ play off the bench for them. And I'm not sure that those teams would want to trade away multiple players uh, to get Russ. I don't think it benefits them necessarily. Uh, I mean, I would have to like go down the list of teams and, and see if it really makes sense for any team to do some sort of like cons- consolidation package where they would be trading away two role players for Russ and them improving. I, I just kind of see that as, as a difficult buy uh, for the bad teams that are expecting to be lottery teams. Like for example, the Pacers that we've, had you know uh get linked to this trade multiple times i don't think they really care whether russ is good or not because i one i don't know if he would actually play there they would probably just buy him out um and two they probably care more about tanking than they do about winning games so uh you know i i don't think it really matters maybe the the third option is a young team that needs sort of like a veteran presence uh, I think the Hornets is, uh, are a team that we've kind of mentioned in that sense and him possibly buying into a bench role. I don't know if he would do that for the Hornets like he is for the Lakers, who knows, but if he was willing to do that, then maybe it makes sense as like a quote unquote mentor for like LaMelo ball um, and somebody who can still contribute to them uh, possibly winning games, but more importantly, just be sort of that veteran presence, like this MVP guy that that can teach their younger players how to have as long of a career as he's had. I am laughing. You guys can't see this because um, I (laughs) LeBron was asked again, we're recording this right after the game. LeBron was asked what he makes of the Cavs now that he's played them. And he referenced his interview with the athletic last year uh, and saying last time he talked about the Cavs quote, I got in trouble. So I don't even think he gave thoughts on the Cavs this time around, uh, which kudos to him because that turned into a mess. Um, I agree with most of what you said. I don't think there is really any team. There aren't going to be many playoff teams that have the contracts even available to consolidate anything for us. Like, it's such a, a small group of, of teams and players and contracts that you were working with trying to find a rush trade anyway, uh, that it wasn't like many of them were just automatically ruled out. I do think it might change how teams like the Pacers or the Hornets, uh, maybe some other teams in there, view trading for Russ. Because the Pacers, for example, we had... Uh, then indie star beat writer for the Pacers, James Boyd on um, during the off season. And he said that the, the Pacers aren't going to tank and they're not going to um, pay Russell Westbrook to go away. Like neither of those things were going to happen. If he's willing to come in and be a backup point guard to Tyrese Halliburton, that completely changes kind of the outlook there. Uh, and maybe they're now more willing to do a trade where they still have a productive player who can be that mentor and they're not demanding two first round picks anymore. Um, 
same with Charlotte, as you were saying. Maybe uh, the Hornets see him as a type of veteran to mentor LaMelo Ball and the other young guys that the, they have on that roster. And it's worth a risk for, you know, three quarters of a season at this point. I don't know that it really changes a whole lot uh, in terms of the trade market, though. I'd be surprised if the Lakers were able to get more for him at this point. Um, just because the the teams that you were going to be working trades with, I don't think ever really cared about how Russ was playing on the court. It was more what he did to their cap moving forward. Like he was giving them long-term cap relief. So I, I don't know that it really changes all that much though. It's still, I mean, incredible what he's done. He deserves all sorts of credit for embracing this role and excelling in this role. And it's genuinely be, been in just a joy to watch him play for the last week, really, as he's kind of embraced this role. A uh, couple tidbits, other guys worth mentioning uh, after Sunday. Um, I, I owe an apology to Troy Brown. I was not familiar with his game. Um <laughs> He, uh, when he came in, I, uh, I thought that he was just kind of this, I, I viewed him kind of in the same light as Wayne Ellington, where like he might have this sort of specialty, but like he was this long shot, not really going to play all that m- like meaningful minutes. Troy ba- Brown has been legitimately good for the Lakers, uh, especially in the last week. What have you liked from him? And, uh, I mean, he, he's had kind of limited minutes with the Lakers because of an injury, but what have you liked from him so far this year? He's just a super active player, I feel like. Um, you know, solid defensively, offensively, always cutting and, and getting to good spots. His three-point shooting, I think, uh, like we mentioned, relative to the rest of this team, has, has been pretty solid. Um, he's just done a lot of good small things. He's actually, I think there's been a few moments where uh, he's been the one that has kind of kept the Lakers in games just because he's gone on a little bit of a spurt um, shooting the ball or, or getting to the basket. I love his chemistry with Russell Westbrook as well. Um, I think they they like barely played together in Washington. I think maybe like, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Troy Brown had 21 games that season with Washington before he got sent to the Bulls. Um, but... Uh, yeah, I, I think his his chemistry with Russell Westbrook has been awesome. His, his activity, uh, just in general, I think he's done a lot of good small things that really show up on a team that is um, dependent on superstar players and doesn't have quite as many sort of like role players that that are high quality necessarily. But uh, he he's definitely caught my eye a few times this season. Um, and been really impressed with him because, like like you said, I was also not quite as familiar uh, with his strengths and weaknesses. Um, and I think he he's definitely kind of over, uh, you know, played played above expectations so far this season. Yeah, one of the the bright spots for this team. He's been put into a, a pretty big role, maybe a role that I think this is for most of the Lakers role players probably a step above where they should be. And I don't even mean that necessarily disparagingly, but like they're, they're relying an awful lot on Troy Brown jr. On uh winning Gabriel guys like that, who 
maybe if there was just one more player that was able to um, take some of those minutes, a Buddy Heald, a Miles Turner, uh, theoretically, of course, um, then I would feel a lot better about where they are in a rotation. Russ and Troy Brown played 100 minutes total together, 12 games in Washington. So, yeah, uh, not a ton of sample size there. They might have already played more minutes together in L.A. than they did there. Last guy to talk about before we do a quick preview uh, of tonight's game, Kendrick Dunn. Um, He had a couple of DNP CDs uh, and then in a Luke Walton-esque move was thrown into the starting lineup on Sunday um, and looked like a guy who deserves some DNP CDs. He had a really good preseason. He had two pretty good preseasons. Uh, but he has been woeful in the regular season. What do you even make of what's kind of happened to him in this regular season? And is it even worth trying to salvage something out of this? Is this just a cold streak? Is this is he really just this bad? Uh, I'm convinced that when the Lakers signed Kendrick Nunn, his agent threw in some sort of clause that made it so that he only had to play preseason games for the Lakers and they just didn't realize it. So last year they were like, all right, he's injured for the whole year. And then this year they were like, well, that would be too obvious to go with again. So they just replaced him with a doppelganger that has never played basketball before in his life for the regular season. Um, That is the only explanation for what is happening. Uh, I don't know, man. I, I thought it was a little harsh to take him completely out of the rotation because he was playing poorly and not shooting the ball well. Because like you said, he did have a really good preseason and it was to the point where I was like really impressed and really convinced that he was going to be a big part of this team, actually. And, you know, I thought, okay, maybe he's, he's just having some confidence issues. Maybe we need to like step down his role a little bit, but keep him playing so that... Uh, he can hopefully build that confidence back. So I was okay with him with throwing him into the starting lineup today. I thought it made a lot of sense actually for a couple of reasons. One is just keeping the rotation pretty stagnant, and then two is hopefully kind of rebuilding his confidence. But watching him, especially in that second half when everything else was was also going wrong, it, it <laughs> kind of broke me. I was like, I I don't know <laughs> if I I don't know if I can keep keep doing this. I don't know if I can keep watching this man play basketball. Uh, I think realistically, obviously, they should keep trying to give him a few chances because he is a talented player. Like he was a, a contributing team, uh, computer contributing player to a team that made the NBA Finals literally two years ago. Um, so it's hard for me to believe that he's just like completely turned into a useless guy. But uh, he needs to start showing something to to earn those minutes because if not, he's the, the the sad part of this is that he is also one of the few players on the team that has a sort of like tradable contract in, in terms of earning enough money that they could get somebody useful back in return for him. But if he's playing like this, nobody's going to view him as an asset at all. Um, so whether it's it's him playing better so that he can actually contribute to the team or playing better so that the Lakers can use him in, in a trade and, and get a useful player back, then... Yeah, I don't know. They they really desperately need him to show something. Should he start again tonight? As I said, Pat Bev did not make the trip. 
and there's going to be a hole in that starting lineup, would you give him another chance in the starting lineup tonight? Uh, maybe. I, I think I would rather see Austin Reeves start just because I think he should probably start over Pat Bev anyway. Uh, so I kind of want to see that starting lineup and, and see what they can do and then maybe just play uh, Kendrick Nunn off the bench. Maybe he'd do a little bit better as playing off uh, off ball with Russ and playing faster. Although sometimes it feels like he's playing too fast. I don't know. I don't know what exactly works, but I think you should probably get a chance again, but um, maybe a little bit more limited of a role. It sucks too because the very first play of the game, they ran a dribble handoff with AD and Nunn, and he like made the right read, and it was awesome. I was like, oh yeah, we got Kendrick Nunn back, baby. And then everything else after that was just awful. <laughs> It was all downhill from there. I had the same thought. I was like, oh, that was a really nice read. Maybe he kind of, these couple games off, broke his funk. No, decidedly not. It did not break <laughs> his funk. Last thing, as we said, the Lakers again play the Jazz. Uh, they did play him on Friday, as we said, um, or as we've kind of mentioned. We didn't talk a lot about that game. It was not a fun game. Utah shot absolutely lights out throughout that game, especially the first half. They shot 60.8% from the field in the first half. They uh, cooled off to 50% for the game, uh, 42% from the three-point line. This is a Jazz team that has just legitimately been good this season. Uh, there were issues all over the floor. Um, Kelly Olenek and Laurie Markkinen had 45 combined points. Uh, Jordan Clarkson, revenge game, 20 points. Mike Conley uh, hit some ridiculous shots. Colin Sexton off the bench. Um, what is there anything different you would do approaching the the Jazz tonight? How do the Lakers kind of flip around that result from really getting kind of smacked in that game on Friday? I would simply defend them better if I were the <laughs> Lakers. Um, yeah, that was, I think, by far the Lakers' worst defensive effort of the season, uh, both in terms of, like, execution and just, like, caring. It, it's a little disappointing that they went into that game uh, seemingly kind of taking uh, the Jazz for granted because they were on a two-game winning streak. It was like, all right, let's, let's relax. <laughs> let's, uh, let's, let's try to rack some wins together. I, I think uh, they should be able to beat the Jazz, like – that game was also tragically the Lakers' best shooting game probably of the year. Yeah. Um, and and it was there for the taking. Like, regardless of how poorly they played defensively, I think if LeBron had, had a decent game, they, they could probably have won that game too. Um, odds are, you know, Utah probably doesn't shoot quite as well with 43-point attempts uh, uh, tonight as they will as they did last, uh, last game. And hopefully, you know, LeBron – kind of builds off of this game against Cleveland and has a better game. So I think it should be a, a little bit more closer of, of a matchup. Um, and again, I think it, it really starts defensively. This seemed like they're off, the Lakers offense is just not good enough and is not going to be good enough to, to get into these sort of like shootouts with teams. Their defense needs to be on top of it. Um, and, you know, that obviously starts with AD, but the guards have to be better as well. Generally, I think they've been pretty good, but that's – you know, two straight games now where they've kind of gotten cooked by by opposing teams' guards. Um, so hopefully, you know, they come into that with accepting that challenge and, and wanting a little bit of payback against Utah after after the rough night. But uh, yeah, we'll see. 
The plan is that LeBron and AD will play. Uh, AD declined to speak to the media post game. I would imagine that has to do with him just not feeling good. Uh, but the plan is for both of them to play tonight. We'll see if that's the case. Um, yeah, like you said, the Lakers shot 48% from the field in that game, 42% from the three-point line. Uh, yeah, it was just made it more frustrating that the Lakers were actually playing well offensively. But, I mean, as all the kind of cliches go, like the Lakers want to get get out and run, and the best way to do that is to get stops. And, and there just haven't been enough of them in the last two games. So, yeah, that's that's key number one is get back to that effort and intensity level defensively through four quarters, not through one half, and and turn that into easy buckets because if the Lakers can can get out and uh, run with LeBron, with Russ, with Lonnie Walker, uh, with all these guys, um, it's a lot more fun. The energy gets up, and it's easy buckets to avoid – those meandering offensive possessions that have existed far too often in the last, uh, especially on Sunday. That'll do it for us this week. A little bit of a longer episode, uh, but hopefully the Lakers are able to snap that losing streak, get back in the win column tonight. We will have coverage of that game, the rest of the games this week. Uh, <laughs> Hani, next time you and I talk, we'll be after the Lakers play the Brooklyn Nets. <laughs> so there will be a very interesting discussion to have after that one. Uh, they will play at Utah, at the Clippers, versus Sacramento, and then versus Brooklyn between now and next time we talk. How many of those games do the Lakers win? Oh, man. Uh, I'll say they beat Utah. Uh, they lose to the Clippers because we just always lose to the Clippers. Uh, they beat Sacramento, and they'll beat the Nets because our vibes are better, even though we're <laughs> both shitty teams. <laughs> uh, the vibes are awful with the Nets. I would be very pleasantly surprised with three and one. I think it'll be two and two. I think they lose the next two and win the next two. Um. We'll see, though, but like I said, we'll be back with you next week to hopefully talk about an entirely uneventful game against the Brooklyn Nets. Until then, be sure you guys are subscribed and uh, following along on the Silver Screen and Roll podcast network, and we will talk to you guys next week.